I'm Christy Cooper, birth doula and creator of Little Doula on the Prairie, and you're listening to Birthing on the Prairies. This podcast was made as a safe place for families here on the prairies to come share their birth stories in every shape and form. So come grab a coffee and join us to hear informative, empowering birth stories from families right here in our communities. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Birthing on the Prairies. I am so excited to have you back here. It's been a hot minute. (laughs) Life has been busy, births have been busy, it's just been wild. And so when Beth reached out to me um, to say, hey, can I share my birth story? I was so excited. So um, best birth story here, we're going to split into two different episodes. Um... This first episode you're getting ready to listen to right now is her first birth story. Uh, It's incredible. Like, the struggles of birthing during COVID is... I don't think anybody truly understands the magnitude of the trauma and difficulties that parents and families went through birthing during this time. And so... Keep that in mind as we go through this episode and um, I'm just so grateful that she came on and shared this very raw, true birth story to herself and so let's get into it. Um, My name is Beth and I am originally from um, outside of Edmonton, just north of Edmonton. I grew up on an acreage uh, just close to Bon Accord, um, kind of farm acreage life, which was a super cool upbringing. Um, definitely have some of that still running through my blood. <laughs> definitely love the, the farm life still. Um, and I met my husband when I was 16 at camp. And yeah. <laughs> So ended up moving down to Calgary when I was about 19, I think, um, because I was sick of long distance and I just wanted to be closer to him. And so we actually got married about a year later. So when we were 20, so literal Mm. babies uh, (laughs) and um, just, yeah, kind of lived our our lives, knew that we didn't want to have kids right away, even though it's pretty common in my family to get married and just start pumping the babies out. I was like, hold up. We have some goals. We have some ideas. Plus, I mean, when you marry into somebody else's family where like, you know, you're already edgy because you're 20 years old and you're getting married and everybody's like, you don't, you don't, this is not going to work. You're like, well, we'll just, we'll just be married for a while and just kind (laughs) of live our lives. So, um, in 2019 we ended up deciding like early in the year that we would not have a baby um until we owned our own home because that was a huge financial goal that we had that we were just like we know that with the way that you know the world is and our jobs were we were like we're never going to be able to get to that goal if we have a baby first because we know ourselves that'll just be where all of our money goes so Um, We decided to hold off for a little bit longer and we actually signed, this was in January on our um, fourth anniversary trip. We were like, no, we can't have a baby till we own our home. And then we actually ended up signing the papers to build our home in February, (laughs) the next 
the next month but we were still just like okay well we have uh you know a, a difficult few months because we actually had to move out of our apartment um in with family while we were building our home um and this was all in Cochrane um and so we lived with his relatives for four months in a tiny little bedroom and just kind of um did life there for the summer while we waited for our house to be ready. And then in August, so we signed papers in February and then in August our house was finished and we moved in and it was just wonderful. All of our kind of, you know, when you build and it's just perfect for you and everything's just amazing. And um, yeah, and we actually ended up having a little bit, it's funny, we had a little bit of an oopsies that month too. And I had freaked out a bit being like, we're just not ready to have a baby yet. But then there was that 5%, you know, where you're like, I'm 95% sure I'm not ready to have a baby. Then the other 5% keeps like peeking into the extra bedroom that you have upstairs being like, where would I put a crib? And where would I you know, put a change table? And so I kind of was like, let's just explore that 5%. Like what that, that had never happened to me before where we had had an accident and there was a little bit of me that was kind of sad that it was a negative pregnancy test and so then the next month we were like are we ready for this are we ready like we have the house we have the reliable car we have everything that we had said we had needed um, and we were doing good you know and we just decided okay let's go for it and um, we tried for one cycle and we were pregnant and kind of a terrible family doctor at the time that I had just found at like a walk-in clinic in Calgary because nobody was really accepting and um and so I had said to her, this was actually like probably the week after we conceived and we didn't know yet. Right. And I said to her like, okay, well, we're, we've started to try already. So what do we got to do? Like what kind of tests and things like that? And, um, you know, and I had said to her, well, who knows, like I could already be pregnant. And she laughed in my face and said, come back to me in a year. And then and then we'll talk about you getting pregnant. And I was like, oh, so that kind of put that little bit of like a, it's going to take a year, just, you know, not, not knowing. And then she had sent me for blood work. And the day before I got all this blood work done, that was when I got my positive test. And so I'm literally sitting there having the pre-pregnancy blood work being done, being like, this is a waste of my time. <laughs> Can we just change the paperwork to say like, let's, let's get on. So Anyways, super duper easy uh, pregnancy, no morning sickness, nothing like that. Um, didn't even believe I was pregnant for a while. Um, other than I, for both of my pregnancies now, I've had um, kind of cysts rupture at about five, six weeks. Oh, wow. And that freaked me out the first time because I really thought I was having a miscarriage and um got checked out everything was totally fine and they never even are have been able to diagnose that it was a cyst because they always just kind of do the ultrasound and go you're fine here you know so um I I think it's a cyst based off of how it feels just because I've had cyst rupture without being pregnant and it's there. so um so other than that everything was fine and then we went for our eight-week ultrasound and got the results back from that and found out that I actually have a septum in my uterus. Um, so the top of it, at the very top, it's kind of shaped like a heart instead of being shaped like a balloon at the top, a blur. And, um, and at that point, we didn't really know anything about it or 
whatever. But I heard the, after seeing my family doctor, I heard the, the front receptionist making the call to book me in for an ultrasound. And this was right before Christmas. And they had wanted to give me an ultrasound after Christmas. But then on the phone, I heard the nurse say, no, after Christmas, it will be too late. And <laughs> that like sent me for such a spiral because I was like, what do you mean it's going to be too late after Christmas? Like, what does this mean? And um, ended up kind of doing my own research. And I guess if the baby implants on that septum, there's really not enough um, blood flow and everything. And if they have implanted, it's more than likely that the pregnancy will not last past 12 weeks. So when she said after Christmas, it will be too late, she meant I'll be 13 weeks after Christmas and that'll be it likely. So we had an emergency ultrasound the next morning um, just to check everything out and make sure everything was okay, which was really stressful. I didn't sleep a wink that night, like just literally being like, is this the last time that I'm going to, you know, feel okay about being pregnant or you know, am I going to come home tomorrow and just be waiting for it all to end? And that was really, really hard to just kind of work through and whatever. Um, and so we went for that ultrasound and everything checked out. And it was just such a, a relief to be like, okay, everything is fine. She didn't implant on the septum. Everything is, everything's good. She implanted in a good space. And I guess they're also worried about restricted growth, um, yeah. depending where they implant to. So if they're too close to the septum as well, it can really restrict things supposedly. So she had kind of implanted nice and low. And so they weren't really worried too much about it. So that was really good. And then kind of just continued on um, around that point, my um, family doctor had told me, cause I had said, I'm really interested in midwifery care. Um, my, a lot of my sisters have done it. I would love to be able to, you know, kind of get that care too. And she again, laughed at me and just said, you're not even eligible for midwifery care because of this. I need to actually refer you to a high risk OB. And I was like, I, everything checked out though. Everything is fine. Qualified as high risk. Now this doesn't seem great. So not to mention, I don't even remember his name, but the OB that she referred me to, I Googled him and he has pages and pages and pages of horrible reviews and <laughs> being like, stay far, far away from him. And so I went back to my family doctor and I was like, I'm not going to see him. No, I'm not going to do it. You need to refer me to somebody else. So um, at that point, I had also <laughs> applied to, I think, eight practices for midwifery care in Calgary and surrounding. So it was like, I applied, I think in Chestermere, I applied in Okotoks, Cochrane, all of the Calgary ones, Airdrie, wherever I could go, like I had applied there and nobody was offering, like nobody was accepting because it was a July birth and everybody's on vacation. Like, great. This is so good for me. Like, I'm so not happy with this process. So, um, I remembered that, um, one of our students, so me and my husband are actually, were youth pastors at that point. And one of our students in our program, her mom was a midwife and was in a practice in South Calgary. And so I was like, mm, maybe I'll just corner her and ask her. So super unprofessional, do not recommend 
you know, finding somebody at church and being like, hey, I need your help. But I was desperate at that point. (laughs) So I definitely pulled her aside at church and was like, hey, listen, like I need a midwife. I can't, I can't go see these high risk OBs. Like it just doesn't sit right with me. This is not, you know, my, my intuition is telling me this is not the way that I need to go. Like I, I need a midwife. And I was told I wasn't eligible. And she looked at me and she said, do you need to get that baby out? And I said, yes. And she said, then you're eligible for a midwife. (laughs) So she um, moved some things around, made space for me. um, And that was just awesome. Um, And kind of, we just continued on. um, And I kind of had, you know, appointments with her, but that was, I think I was about 20 weeks when COVID hit. And so um, that kind of changed everything for, for, you know, prenatal care and all of that stuff. It was all just a mess. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, the whole, the whole world was a mess. And so, um, that, that was really, really difficult was, you know, anticipating, you know, getting pregnant, anticipating, you know, all of the wonderful things that were going to, you know, happen while I was pregnant and the baby showers and the celebrations and the family and the friends, and then having that all just like ripped away from you in a matter of days. Um, that was really, really difficult. And even just knowing that my husband couldn't come to ultrasounds anymore. And this was our first baby, you know, like, you know, I think for any subsequent babies, it's not as important for that support person to, well, to, to me anyways, it was as big of a deal to have him there. But for the first one, it was like, you know, come like, this is the first time we're both experiencing this. And, um, so he couldn't be there for any of those. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was really, really hard and losing, Um, I got laid off from my job and so losing kind of my community that was my workplace and, um, you know, when you work for your church, um, that also means that you've lost, you know, a big part of your community just because your place of worship is not open anymore. And um, so, yeah, in a matter of days, it felt like everything had just gotten ripped away from me. And yeah, it just, it just took the breath out of me, like couldn't, couldn't even, feel like I I felt like I couldn't even be joyful anymore in my pregnancy because this was something that we had so desperately wanted and planned for and then it was like so unfair that the world was like nope (laughs) like would you say that even like right now you're still feeling like those effects from like living through that trauma of COVID and being pregnant in that point in time absolutely um I really struggled in my pregnancy with um, with my second, Marin, um, because I was just so fearful the entire time. Like, and then some things started to happen during her pregnancy that had happened with Jane as well. So my first is Jane. Um, when I was 18 weeks pregnant with Jane, my first, um, my husband's grandfather, who we were really close with, passed away suddenly. Um, And then when I was 18 weeks pregnant with Marin, my grandmother, who I was really close with, passed away very suddenly. And that just felt like such a cruel joke. And my body literally couldn't believe that, you know, as these things were starting to unfold, that had led to COVID before, my body literally just couldn't believe that it wasn't going to happen again. 
And so I ended up with very, very severe Braxton Hicks from 18 weeks on to about 32 weeks, I think, 30 weeks, um, where it literally would just take the breath out of me. Like I remember Christmas shopping, <laughs> literally standing in the aisle at Best Buy, staring at a shelf being like, I just want to breathe. Like I can't, like I can't catch my breath and I can't, you know, and I, I really believe that that was honestly a trauma response of Lee. And so it was so, um, it was so strange to have to deal with, to have to tell my, myself over and over, like, it's going to be different this time. And people would all tell me that too. It's going to be different this time, Beth. It's okay. It's okay. And I would say like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, I want to believe that so badly, but it just is so deep in there, the trauma, you know, just, I'm having such a hard time. So, so yeah, it was, it was pretty intense with, um, with Jane, but, you know, we kind of hung on and we still just, you know, did what we needed to do and, and worked through what we need to work through. And I ended up going back to work at 32 weeks pregnant <laughs> and um that was that was fine it was all good like I was exhausted but I was like I just need to get some normalcy back into my life before this baby comes like I just I want to feel like um so I went back to work and I think I worked till I was 38 weeks pregnant or something so I, I went back for about six weeks um but in that time, you know, I was having some Braxton Hicks and whatever, but right at 37 weeks, I just was like, all right, this baby can come out now and just started doing all of the things that <laughs> I could do to get her out. Um, you know, the stairs, the acupuncture, the whatever it was, the chiropractic, the, you know, like literally any last thing that people were like, this can get your baby out. I was like, let's do it. Let's go for it. You know? <laughs> um, and so um, at that point had realized that um, Jane was posterior, um, which was not fun because my midwife had very little to say about how to um, cope with that thing. No, no advice on even how to potentially get her to flip or whatever, but because of my septum, um, um by the time babies are about 32, 33 weeks pregnant, that's where they're going to be because there is no more space for them to move. Um, <laughs> so, so that was it. We were like, okay, this baby is posterior and we're just going to do whatever we need to do. So, she had said to me like, oh, your baby's posterior. Maybe if you just want to like lean forward during a contraction, I was like, sweet, that'll, that'll, that'll do, you know, <laughs> like, just, you know, what to do. And then, um, I had originally wanted a hospital birth, but because of COVID just decided to change. I mean, I have a midwife. Why not? Why not do this at home? Like, yeah. I don't want to deal with the protocols in the hospital, um, I didn't want to mentally deal with the possibility of my husband having to leave and not come back. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with labor and, and having to mentally deal with that. And so I was like, we're just going to do this at home. It's fine. We're just going to go for it. And um, didn't really educate myself as much as I could have or, um, yeah, prepare as much as I could have. I was like, okay, we have all of the things to make you know, a home birth possible. 
cool. Yeah. We bought everything. We, you know, did kind of the prenatal class as much as we could. The one thing I did do that was good was that I basically made my husband my doula with him all of the support measures like the the coping measures um you know being like if you see me with tense shoulders and a tense jaw like you tell me to relax you tell me to breathe like if I'm hyperventilating you tell me to slow down like you know like just prepping him and he became the greatest um the greatest support person ever (laughs) but uh but yeah so just there wasn't a lot of support from my midwife um she had a lot of other clients and everybody was kind of just trying to figure out this COVID thing and, you know, what we had to do and what we didn't. So that was tough. Um, and then 39 weeks exactly, I started having insane back pain, like just horrific back pain. And I was like, this is so weird. This is so painful. This is horrible. I don't know what's going on. And yeah, it would just come and go and I would just be hanging out and then all at once be like, did somebody just slam an ax in my back? Like, did somebody just do this to me? Because I truly, it was horrible. And so I realized, oh, these are contractions. This is not what I thought a contraction was going to feel like at all. And was not prepared for that in the slightest, had no idea how to cope, had no idea how to help myself I only knew that walking made it feel much better if I could walk through a contraction um, it actually was much less painful than if I was just laying down or standing still so from like six in the morning till like bedtime I had my running shoes on and I was just walking because I was like we don't really know when these things are gonna hit Um, and that was four days of that of just they would get down to two and a half, three minutes apart, and then all of a sudden quit. And then it'd be like half an hour between contractions. And then it was horrible. And I hated every minute of it. But I would still be like, okay, we're just gonna keep bouncing on my birth ball and doing all the things and trying to get her to flip. And um, by day three, I had been like, okay, I need my midwife to just check and see what's going on. And she checked and I was two centimeters and not really effaced much at all but you know just was like okay keep trucking along like do your thing and left and then you know 24 hours later I was like okay this is this is a lot like we're still in the thick of this what's going on and she would check and she's like okay you're three centimeters and not really effaced so these contractions are doing something but they're just taking so that was not ideal uh it was really hard i hated that and um yeah just my sister had sent me a spinning babies move and i was like you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it and see and then i'm gonna quit i'm gonna take my tylenol and grab all and i'm gonna go to bed and just try and sleep and um that whole time too i had tried um using a breast pump um, to stimulate contractions too and that would work but it wasn't like they still weren't really effective and um, so it was actually really funny because you're supposed to do this tummy tuck the lift and tuck so you're supposed to do that for 10 contractions and I was like you know what if I just put a breast pump on I'll have contractions every three or four minutes and 
we won't be waiting 30 minutes to do this. So it was, it's still a funny story that me and my husband both just die laughing at because if you had seen us, it was just the wildest picture ever. We have modern family playing on the TV. I'm, you know, I'm pushed up against the wall. I'm holding this breast pump on trying to do these pelvic tilts and (laughs) anytime a contraction would come, I would have to do the lift and tuck. And so my husband, I'd be like, hold the pump on. And so he's sitting there holding the pump on as I'm doing, (laughs) it's just chaos. And it didn't really feel like anything was happening, but then um, the baby started to get really fussy and moving and you know whatever and so I was like okay well she's feeling something at least yeah and then on contraction number seven all of a sudden my water broke everywhere and it was like a fountain like it was a gush like it was just like non-stop everywhere and I was like oh thank god because now at least we're at go time right um and I honestly probably had I don't know three or four minutes of clarity where I texted my sister's group chat and just said, my water just broke. And then that was it. That was the last thing I really am clear on. <laughs> so at that point, contractions became like two and a half minutes apart, super duper intense, but I have a pretty high pain tolerance. And so I'm pretty good at talking through pain. And so they called my midwife and said, okay, her water broke. What do we do? And she said, well, put, put Beth on the phone and I'm in the shower and whatever. And she's like, how are you doing, Beth? What are you feeling? And I was like, I'm okay. Everything is fine. Meanwhile, I'm actually dying inside. Um, (laughs) I was not okay. Um, But she was at another birth in South Calgary. So yeah. So she was actually down South in Seton at the time. Um, (laughs) And so that's at least 45 minutes from my house. um, If you're trucking real good down Crow Child. So, (laughs) um, so she was like, okay, just hold tight. I'll send somebody out to you. I can't come myself. Um, And so another midwife came and checked me and I was only three centimeters, but fully faced. And so she told me, take Tylenol and grab all and go to bed. And I wanted to strangle her. I was like on my own right now, like contractions were so intense that like, I literally had to lock eyes with my husband and watch him breathe and breathe along with him and be like, otherwise I would lose it. And I would start hyperventilating and all of this stuff. And it was just crazy. So, so she was like, go to bed. And I was like, I'm certainly not going to do that. There's no way, like I can't even get out of the shower. So I went back to the shower and just was on my hands and knees in there and um, was just kind of mentally really defeated and really just like, I don't know what's happening. And Did you feel like really like you just weren't validated in that moment? Like no one saw you? Oh yeah, because now I know you're not really looking for the timing or dilation. You should be looking for the intensity of those contractions. Like, and what I was going through was mega intense. Like, I don't honestly now having gone through it a second time, like, I don't know what she was thinking leaving. Like (laughs) nobody really knew that she had left either. Um, My husband's mom was there. My husband was there. My mom was there. Um, which those were the three people that I chose to, you know, come and support me. Um, And yeah, they didn't know that she had left either. And so um, 
25 minutes after she came and checked me, I was in the shower and suddenly I was pushing. <laughs> and I was like, this is new. This is different. I don't know what's going on. Why do I feel like pushing? I And so um, I yelled at my mom. I was like, I'm pushing. I have to push. I have to push. And she was like, you can't push a baby out of the shower. Get out. And I was like, okay. I legitimately started bawling, being like, I don't want to leave the shower. Like, it's been my only comfort this whole time. So they called my midwife again and said, like, okay, Beth feels like she has to push. What's going on? And my midwife straight up said, this is what my husband tells me anyways and what my moms tell me. Um, she said, she's only three centimeters. There's no way that she should be pushing right now. You need to stop her from pushing until I can get there. And that's all I heard was, and, and I think she said, um, if she pushes, she can swell her cervix shut. Like, transferred to the hospital and in my head I was literally like over my literal dead body will you take me to the hospital like I will yeah. die first like I'm not going yeah. there um so maybe the wrong mentality to have for sure but just all my brain heard was it's not safe to push you need to stop and so um that was I think about 1130 maybe so so my labor had really my I think my water broke at about nine or 9 30 um and yeah this is about 11 30 and so I was like okay this is this is what we got to do so I ended up getting on my bed laying flat on my back and just whatever I could do to stop myself from pushing I I did that so I held her in for dear life for about two hours. Um, wow. Yeah, basically being like, I will not push. Um, and so that was honestly the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. Yeah, so it was just really, really scary. Like I, I didn't even mentally know how to cope with the thought of like, if I lose control of my body, um, and it wasn't surrender. It was actually like loss. Like if I lose yeah. control of my body, I will hurt my baby. And this won't work for me. Like this, this will all just end in an emergency. And so I had to, my, my mom-in-law still makes fun of me for it. And it's so funny because she had never experienced, like she had never been there for a birth before. And so I knew that my strongest urges to push were going to come between the counts of 12 and 17. Yeah. Five counts in there where I was going to feel my strongest urge to push. And if I could make it past that count of 17 without pushing, um, then I would have made it through that contraction. And so I would lock eyes with my husband and we would just count together. One, two, three, four, all the way up to 25. And it was not like every second we were counting. It was just like, we were just counting together. And there was quite a few that I lost control on and ended up pushing. And, um, and at one point my mom got this weird look on her face. Cause of course I'm believing my baby is still just high up there. She's not coming down. And if I push, um, I'm just going to, you know, it's not going to work out for me and she's never going to come out and I'm going to. And you're still in bed at this point in time. Yeah. yeah. Still in bed, flat on my back. 
my mom gets this weird look on her face and I saw her and I was like, what, what is going on? And she was like, like, do you mind if I just look? And at that point I was like, knock yourself out. I don't care. Like whatever you feel like you need to do, do it. I don't care. Like I am just kind of just trying to cope. And so she literally like, she like takes her finger and literally just like touches and is like, oh my gosh, that's the baby's head right there. Like it's literally that close. Like it is like, like the baby's head is right here. And she was like, feel it. What does that feel like? I don't know. And so I felt, and I was like, mom, that's too squishy to be her head. It's not her head. There's no way. Um, And she was really tall. She was 22 inches. And so her little legs and feet were still slamming me in my ribs. So I was like, there is no freaking way that's her head. I was like, if that's her head, there's like, there's just no way that that's as far as it is. So we're arguing back and forth, literally being like, she's like, I don't know what it is if it's not her head and I don't know what's going on. And so she calls my midwife and is like, I think her head is right here, like right here. And my midwife is like, I'm on my way. I'm just about there. I'm like 20 minutes out or 15, 15 minutes, I think at that point. And she's like, just try to keep her relaxed. Try to, uh, this is my, I'm like still trying not to push still in complete disbelief that this is what's happening. And, um, finally my midwife runs in is like, I am not ignoring you. I just have to set up my emergency equipment. Like that's, I'm pretty sure that's law is that they have to set it up before they can really do anything. And so (laughs) I just saw her and I was like, oh, if you're here, I, it wasn't even as if I was like, now I got to push. It was just like, now I'm just going to stop biting my body for just a minute. And boom, her head was out. Um, And she, my, my mom, I just remember hearing her yell being like, her head is out, her head is out. And my mom birthed her head because <laughs> my midwife was not here. Um, and so my midwife runs back into the room is like, wait, wait, wait. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> he ain't waiting any longer. No way. Um, but she was like, okay, just have little pushes, little, little, little pushes to try and get the rest of her body out. And like, it just flew out like in that fetal ejection reflex. Oh boy. Like that is so real. Like there's nothing you can do to stop that. Once that thing is going, like (laughs) I didn't even push. She was just like little blushes. And I was like, I'm just going to relax. And she just flew out. And yeah, it was pretty crazy and all very much a blur, like very panicked, very fast paced, like just so much to take in so much to like mentally navigate, like what's happening, how is, how is, you know, happening. And, um, and then even from there, like it was a very like methodical, but like very fast, like get her cleaned up, get everything, you know, get the baby checked over, get everything done let's get out of here. Um, I realized later that she had her first birth in South Calgary. The baby was born at eight o'clock, I think, or something, or maybe nine, maybe a little later anyways. And then Jane was born in Cochrane at one thirty, And then she had a birth in Airdrie same night. I think that baby was born at like 8am or something. Yeah, in the span of 12 hours, she had three births to, to do. Um, and so I was like, 
honestly, like I'll give her a pass. Like if that was as crazy as it was, like I'll just whatever. But yeah, there was no real like nurturing. Like I got myself up to the bathroom. Um, I got myself, you know, she was like, okay, before I can leave, you need to go pee. I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. Like went to the bathroom, did that. And so um, had to get my own diaper on. I was like, I really like a shower. She was like, no, you don't get to take a shower. Go to bed. I was like, all right, sweet. Aye, aye, like, let's go. <laughs> so I think I actually ended up using like some baby wipes to wipe myself off. <laughs> and then the next morning, like woke up and was like, I look like I have been through a literal battle and I feel like it too. <laughs> had to get stitched up which home birth stitching just sucks because there's there's just nothing that they can really offer you yeah and I literally was like I mean I mean this is a birth podcast but I was like are you stitching my butthole closed like like is this like is this what's happening because it literally feels like you are stabbing it time and time like <laughs> it was so bad um yeah and then you know she we wrapped the baby up she, you know, got put in her bassinet and my midwife was like, okay, she's going to sleep for the next eight hours probably. And you should probably do the same. Yeah. Just tucked myself back into bed and, and kind of just went. And that was kind of how our postpartum started was just very hurried, very, you know, friend, you know, very much just like get it done. So that was kind of hard. And, you know, the first day that she was born was probably my best day. Felt really good, like kind of was on that birth high still. Um, and for the first time since COVID had hit in March, this is July, um, my husband's family came over um, and they actually held the baby and were like, it just felt like a family for the first time since March. And that was also a high for me was just like, I had this baby and now, you know, we can actually see each other for the day. And, you know, and I knew that they were all kind of pushing their boundaries by being there because they weren't comfortable with seeing anybody or going anywhere. And so I just felt really loved that day um, because they all, you know, kind of threw caution to the wind and came over and just celebrated with me. Um, but that didn't last very long because they all went home that night and then that was it. We didn't see them again for a long time. Um, and my husband's mom stayed with us for a few days. Um, but unfortunately my husband had gone to the gym with a buddy and his buddy woke up the next day with a bit of a sore throat. And then that was it. Um, she left. She works in a senior's residence that was kind of the worst place that you could take COVID at the time. And so she really had to make that difficult call of saying like, I actually have to protect other people's grandparents, um, you know, and, and maybe not see my own grandchild. So um, yeah. And it was mentally just like, okay, mentally up until that point. And just somehow with her leaving and, you know, not being able to have that support anymore. I just took a deep dive. Like it was if, yeah, like it was like all the wind, you know, got knocked out of me. Like I couldn't even function anymore. Um, and that's kind of when I realized that kind of the postpartum depression and anxiety really started was kind of around that five day mark. 
you know, I kind of knew to expect the baby blues and all of that stuff. You know, I knew that that was quite normal, but I didn't know it was going to be that bad. I didn't know that I was going to, you know, I would find my husband pretty much every day around five o'clock and pass him the baby and be like, all right, I don't want to be a mom anymore. I'm done. Like you can, you can take care of this baby for the rest of your days. And I'm just going to go like, see you later. Like (laughs) I can't do this anymore. I'm not capable. I'm not, you know, um, and that was really hard was looking at your baby and knowing that you love them so much and that you would do anything for them. But at that moment you resent them for everything that they did to you and all the pain that you went through and all of the trauma and you just look at them and, and like, there's such a, you know, a clash of two worlds of, I love you so much. And yet, you know, I resent you so much. And how do you deal with that as a mom of, you know, feeling so much anger towards your baby and feeling like they ripped your life away, you know? So (laughs) that was a really difficult, difficult time. And I really thought it would get better after that, like initial two week, you know, span. And it just did not, it still just continued on. And, um, while the depression didn't stick around too heavily, um, the anxiety was so, 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 so bad, like constant of just like, what if she dies? What if she gets COVID? What if, you know, what if I do something to her? What if, you know, and just the constant, um, you know, the, the mental toll that that takes on you of, um, you know, breastfeeding was also tough. Um, cause I have a huge oversupply and an overactive letdown and, um, she would just end up choking and gag every single time we would feed and, um, she'd just scream and cry and scream and cry and scream and cry. And I didn't know how to help her or what to do. And to make matters worse, who was I supposed to call, you know, like, no, no. And so, um, you know, we lived for when my husband would get home from work because it would be like, finally, there would be a little bit of a break um, where somebody else, but again, because of the anxiety, even though he has her, do you think I can disconnect and be like, oh, my baby is safe with him? No, of course not. <laughs> I'm like something, you know, and, and because of my history and my upbringing and my past, um, I also didn't trust that he was not going to hurt her. I really thought, you know, like, dads can just snap and they lose their their cool and they can hurt their kids and that's the way it is and so I didn't trust that you know he was going to take care of her or whatever and so yeah we just kind of trucked along that way for a long time and when people would ask like how are you doing are you okay it was always like yeah great we're good we're great and I think at the back of my mind I really did want to protect his family, like my husband's family, my family was all in Edmonton. And so there was no, no help there. Um, and of course we couldn't go visit cause that was against the law. Um, <laughs> and I kind of wanted to protect Dustin's family, my husband's family, um, just from even feeling guilty or, you know, like I knew that his mom already had struggled so hard having to choose you know, her seniors and and her work over her children and her grandchildren. And um, I didn't want her to feel any more guilt over that. Like, I just, I wanted to protect her from feeling like she was, 
you know, not supporting us. And so I just never let on that things were wrong. Yeah. So there was actually one point, um, I had a, it's so funny that it just sticks out to me so much. I had another mom, um, whose kids were like five or six at that point before or shortly after Jane was born. She said the greatest piece of parenting advice I ever got was that your baby cannot fall off the floor. (laughs) You're overwhelmed. If there's too much going on, you put your baby on the floor and you leave. You give yourself some grace and some space. And that just somehow stuck out to me of just like, okay, that's, that's what you do. So there was one moment when my husband was at work um, and I knew I couldn't call him because there was just a set time. They were actually live streaming um, church services and stuff. And so I knew that there was a set amount of time between certain hours that I could not call him because he was actually 100% busy. He couldn't answer his phone. And so um, it ended up that, you know, Jane was screaming and I had just hit my limit. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't rock her anymore. I couldn't try and soothe her. I couldn't, you know, at that point, you know, even, you know, as a breastfeeding mom, it's like, I couldn't even stuff a boob into her mouth because it was just going to make it worse. Like, um, and so I just ended up putting her on a blanket on the floor and backing up about 10 feet and just sobbing and crying and just being so, so, so devastated that like, I couldn't even be what my baby needed. Kind of solidified the fact that, you know, I was a terrible mom. Like I just, you know, if I was really a good mom, I wouldn't be struggling like this. And I would be, you know, I could do it by myself and I could make it work. And, and I, and I just couldn't at that point. And so I ended up calling my, um, or texting my sisters in Edmonton and just, you know, getting, getting really real with them saying like, I can't do this. I can't, I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know who to call. And, um, they had said like, do you even have coworkers that you could potentially call? Because, you know, you're exposing yourself to them every time you go into work, like as my, you know, and then I remembered that I actually had a coworker that lived three streets over. So I called her and I just said, Hey, Sandy, like, I can this anymore. I'm done. I I've hit my limit. And can I come drop a baby off? Because I just, I can't anymore. And she was so gracious and generous. She was like, please, like, please come, please bring your baby. Like, please just whatever you need. Can I grab anything from Tim's for you? Can I, you know, so I ended up loading her into her stroller, taking her over there and just basically passing her off and being like, I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't handle her anymore. And, you know, I don't know why babies do it, but it's always the colicky ones that you pass them off to a perfect stranger and they're like, oh, this is fine. Pass your baby off to a stranger to them. Yay. And you're like, well, I'm a crap mom. Like, so it just like, you know, it just rattled me and I was so grateful for the help and just a a bit of fresh air, you know, I mean, I think paired with the walk over there. Um, and the sunshine and just taking a minute to breathe. And of course, babies are much happier outside too. So, you know, I think I ended up being in a little bit better of a place, but it just kind of, you know, just, it just drove home the fact that there was really nobody for me, you know, like there was no family um, and the people that we had to lean on were, you know, coworkers and, and we didn't really, 
from the beginning, those were not the people that we thought we would be counting on. So that was really, really difficult. Um, and I continued to just kind of struggle in silence for a long time of just, you know, I can do this, I can do this, you know? And, and it, it's so funny because I look back at some of the things that I did um, at that point to try and take control of our situation of just the rigid sleep schedule that I had our baby on and the rigid feeding and we will do tummy time and we will do, you know, all of these things and we will have good wake windows and we will, you know, and we will eat right and we will, you know, and all of these things and we will walk and we will, you know, like all of these things that I did just to try and take some control. But meanwhile, you know, it's four in the morning and I'm doing a feed and I remember the garbage didn't get taken out and it was supposed to get taken to the curb tonight. Otherwise we'll have to wait two more weeks. And so who's putting their coat on at four in the morning and pulling the garbage to the curb, you know, like able to let go of that stuff. You know? And I laugh about it now because I'm like, I thought that was so normal things in me that was like, if I don't do the dishes and I don't do the laundry and I fall behind, my life is going to be over. And I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't stand the thought of that. So yeah, it was a really, really difficult time and, you know, mixed, I think COVID obviously just escalated all of that and just could not disconnect, could not, um, yeah, couldn't, couldn't let go of a lot of things. And so it was really hard. It was even hard on our marriage. Like, I was going to ask you about that. Like going through that, like deep, dark place in your life, you're dealing with all these things. You're, you're self isolating yourself, even with your own feelings and everything within your marriage. Like how, how does your husband talk about it when like he was equally like at the same time in the same place with you, but like he's getting to go to work. He's getting to go see his like social circle, but he has this wife who is struggling at home and needs him, but he's also called to this huge community that he's serving. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. And there was a lot of things going on at work that were also really, really, really difficult to work of just, you know, COVID protocols and, how do you make sure that you're following those? And um, so he isolated himself from a lot of the community as well, because we desperately wanted to spend time with his family. His family was kind of in the place where they were like, well, if you haven't isolated for the last two weeks, then we can't see you. And so we would get to the place where we were almost at that two week mark. And then I would end up having to reach out for help from somebody else um and you know getting they reset the clock like oh exactly. i guess you won't see me for another two weeks exactly and that happened for months of like we would just about make it to that two-week mark and then something would happen and it would just reset again and we would have to go for another two weeks and that really messes with your head like it really it really messes with your head so that was not fun um but then in october um I don't remember why, but somehow we were allowed to be like in, in Dustin's family's like cohort. Cause up to that point they had had their like quote unquote cohort right. and we were not allowed to be in it um, because we were too many people. Um, and so it was just, it was a lot and just a lot of even relationship stress of like outside and then even 
in our own marriage. It was like, how do we, how do we even work through this when I'm now starting to be very angry and resentful of your family because they're causing all of this pain that I'm going through. And never once did I think this is postpartum anxiety. This is postpartum depression. Your family is the cause of this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like we always want to try and figure out what's to blame. Right. So that was honestly so, so, so difficult. Um, And by some miracle, we still ended up just clinging to each other through it of just like, you know, I, I had had a little bit of a, of a, of a moment before I had the baby where I was just crying. And I said, like, promise me that even if we're not good at being husband and wife, Beth and Dustin, we will still be best friends, Beth and Dustin, and we will still be there for each other. Um, and still, you know, have that friendship between us and that, you know, companionship, even if we can't be good at being married, like we will still be good friends. And so that really was the case through all of it. Like we were scared. He was going through it himself. And, you know, I know that he didn't have the people to talk to about even what he had experienced during Jane's birth and how traumatic that was to just watch his wife go through that and not know, is she safe? Is the baby safe? You know, and feel like, you know, it was all on him too, because we didn't have any medical professionals there for the most part until the very end. And so a lot of that weight was on his shoulders. And I I think, you know, we, we just kind of, I don't know, it took a long time. It took a long time to kind of get back to, you know, quote unquote normal, um, because your entire normal changes, right? But there was, you know, finally a time (laughs) in life where we did finally take a breath and think, okay, we're settled, we're good. Um, But in October as well, um, we felt a shift in our employment, we felt a shift that maybe there was more out there for us than just being youth pastors, you know, and we knew we hit our ceiling where we were at. Um, and we had gunned so hard for more for years and had never been given it. And we kind of just came to this realization that if we wanted more, we were going to have to go elsewhere to find it. And so October, we both resigned from our jobs with nothing on the other side and just knew that, you know, this was what was right. This is what we had to do. Um, and thankfully within 48 hours, we had, I think, seven different job offers, uh, for being senior pastors, um, in different places across the world. Honestly, we had Thailand, we had, um, a couple different spots in BC. We had Southern Alberta. We had further Northern Alberta. We had other side of Canada, like we had other opportunities, but it, there was absolutely nothing in Calgary or Cochrane, um, and we waited as long as we could to see if something would turn up there and nothing did. And so in January, we... Thank you once again, Beth, for coming on and sharing this incredible birth story with us today. Um, Again, this was part one. So stay tuned, keep an eye on Instagram um, and make sure that you come back when the next episode is released. I'm going to do my best to get it all done and ready for next week for it to come out. So stay tuned for part two. 
Once again, thanks everyone for making the time to come and listen to this incredible birth story. Until next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Birthing on the Prairies. I am so happy to have you here listening and learning and sharing with us. If you're interested in sharing your own birth story, please head on over to my Instagram, Birthing on the Prairies, and there will be a link in the bio where you can submit your own story and I'll get a hold of you. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review if you're loving the podcast. I would love to hear from you. I'm going to start reading out reviews during the live podcast recording. So again, thank you guys so much for sharing and learning in this experience with us. And we'll see you next time.